We are back. It's the Bods. I hope everybody had a great Christmas, a great holidays, great New Year. Uh, and we are back with the Bods. And we're here with a episode 7. And we're going to have a bit of a hybrid episode today. We're going to be breaking down the World Junior Tournament. Uh, and obviously focusing on Team Canada and a bit of the Leafs prospects. And then for the second half of the show, we're going to be focusing on the Leafs and the upcoming season. Now that we know that it's actually going to be happening. Um, we just finished watching the Blue versus White game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we'll be breaking that down as well. And uh, we'll be closing things out with our buds or of that game uh and that will be a specific player in that game will be the bud or dud um so kian let's start things off we're going to be breaking down the world juniors the world juniors was it was just so good to have hockey back like it was so good to just be able to watch high level hockey and just be able to just sit and enjoy and relax and it was almost a bit of normalcy back in our lives after the craziness that has been this pandemic so it was just a big ups to the IIHF for, for putting on a good show, for being able to get through it without any serious uh, kind of mishaps as far as COVID is concerned. And and uh, it was it was just so good. And then as far as the Leaf guys are on it, just it was just great to see Leaf prospects again and just being able to see guys that I had never even seen play before. Like I had never seen Amirov play before. I had never seen Niamela play before. Like none of these guys I'd never even seen play before. So it was great to be able to see what the Leafs saw in these prospects and why we should be excited about them. And so um, I got to, yeah, it was, it was just, it was just so good to have hockey back. Oh, absolutely. And we basically watched this tournament religiously, but this year we watched every single game. I think we only missed like one game. And I think it was a preliminary game anyway. Yeah. So we watched every single tournament game and, I we never really do that. Usually it's it's usually just the Canada game. It's Canada or bust. Yeah, exactly. But this game this time we were just so starved for hockey that we watched it all. And I'm glad we did because we watched some damn good hockey. And especially because Canada was just blowing everybody out for majority of the tournament. It was nice to see some competitive hockey. And a lot of that has to go to like the Finns. They I think they surprised a lot of people. Um, I think the Finns were part of two of the three best games in the tournament. Oh, absolutely. Like they, they had very competitive games, really entertaining hockey, high speed, high skill. And it was just exciting to watch. They were close and they went down to the wire. Um, but, you know, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on Team Canada. Obviously, it's not the result we wanted. I mean, for Team Canada, it's always gold or bust. Anything else is just unacceptable. And we we lost to the States of all people, which, you know, that, that hurts a little extra because they're our biggest rivals. But at the end of the day, they outplayed us. They, they showed up to win, and Canada didn't. And it's as simple as that. So, you know, congratulations to the States. Uh, we'll catch you next time in the Olympics when it matters. And um, we're now looking forward to the Leafs season, but we're going to be focusing a little bit more on the Leafs prospects and their impact on their uh, their teams in, in the World Juniors. Um, and who better to start with than the the defenseman of the tournament in uh, Niemela, with uh, Topi Niemela with Finland? He He thoroughly impressed me. And anyone in Leaf Nation who's not super excited for this player did not watch this tournament because it's a right-handed defense defenseman who can play the point on the power play and play in every situation you want a defenseman to play in. And he's got a very calm demeanor about him, which is just so essential to be successful in the NHL as far as the defenseman is concerned. So I couldn't help but get overly excited about everything that this kid was doing in this tournament. And then the fact that he was able putting up, putting up, you know, really high level point totals. Finished what sixteenth in the tournament as a defenseman, and he finished eleventh. Eleventh in the tournament out of yeah. all players. So eleventh in the tournament points as a defenseman on a team that finished third, and he just everything he did was screaming like you would fit perfectly into the Leafs model so it just makes me really excited for his potential future I don't think he plays for the Leafs for probably another two three years let him develop a little more get put a little more size on and and meat on his bones but I'm really excited to see see kind of where he ends up going um the the other Finnish defenseman uh Miko Kocken I believe his name is uh yep. he uh 
he was more of a depth defenseman on that team, so we didn't really get to see him too much, although I know he did have a few points and some good defensive plays. We didn't notice him that much. And as far as the defense was concerned, that's kind of what you want. So I don't have any, like, big points to say about him, but the fact that I didn't notice him in a World Junior Tournament where he had to play some tough games, I'm okay with that as a defenseman is concerned. And then I know Hirovinen uh, Hir- Hir- had a, you know, a, a phenomenal clutch goal in that game yeah. against Sweden. And he's a younger player as well. So. Yeah, I mean, he was picked up in this most recent draft. So I was really interested to see what, how he played, and I, he seemed like someone who could fit really nicely into the bottom six of an of a, of a, of a NHL team. So um, on Finland, I was really excited from what I saw. As far as Russia is concerned... I know we really only got to see two of the three prospects on that team because the goalie didn't really get to play. He no, played he, like half a game. Yeah, if that. like, So like, we can't really yeah. pass judgment on the goalie, but um, as far as Amirov and Abramov, I think they were both equally impressive. I, I couldn't say that I was more impressed by one or the other. I think they both have very interesting styles of game that are they kind of complement each other, uh, and they're both highly skilled. And I think the big thing about Abramov specifically is he's got a bit of a... He's got to work on his, his penalty problems. He, he took a few different really, really bad penalties throughout the tournament. So I'm hoping that he can kind of get that out of his game as he grows up here a little bit. And uh, Amirov just seems like someone who is kind of exactly what you expect to get in the middle of the first round. He's got a lot of raw talent and just kind of needs to develop a little bit further. So I was uh, I was pretty excited from what I saw so far. Yeah, the the Russian team, although the the team itself did not have a great tournament. I think the one shining light from that would be Amirov. And I think he had a really good tournament and he was another one who was in the top 30 players for points. Um, and of course the Selly, the, the Selly where he has a goal disallowed and then goes and scores another one and calls it a goal himself. You know, he, he clearly knows who drafted him and who the star of that team is. And he's taken Austin Matthews Selly and, I love that because he's having fun with it and it shows that uh, he's referencing the star of the team that he's been drafted by. And I think that's a good foundation to build future relationships on for a good young player. Uh, so that, that can only be showing good things and it shows, he, you know, he, he has a sense of humor at least, <laughs> which is nice to see and doesn't take himself too seriously. But at the same time, he, he did really well. I, I mean, he finished 19th in points. In, in the tournament, that was not bad, considering the Russian team didn't even medal. Um, but then you look at the Finns, and, and they get the bronze medal, and they were so fired up to get that medal. And, and they really gave the States a run for their money in that semifinal game. Uh, and unfortunately, they lose it in the last minute. And, and that's heartbreaking, but they, they just seemed like they wanted that bronze medal more than Russia. So I, I was just happy to see that, first of all. Um, but... As far as the Leafs go, um, their prospects did a really good job. I, I think there, there's nothing you can be upset about for what we saw. Obviously, there's some prospects that we, we didn't really get a good look at just because they didn't play enough. They weren't big enough um, players on their corresponding teams, um, which is beyond anybody's control. But for what we saw, it's nice to see two of the Leafs prospects in the top 30 for, for scoring points in the tournament. That's always good to see. It's always promising. Uh, but focusing a little bit more on Canada, um, obviously it's sad to see them lose in the gold medal game. Um, but I think they just had it way too easy up to that game where they were in the much easier division and the second best team in their division was Finland. You didn't get to face Russia in a meaningful game before an elimination game. Same for the States. Or We never faced Sweden at all. Yeah, but even that, like, like the game that the Finns gave the Americans, if they had gave given that game to the Canadians, they would have been much better prepared going into the, the medal round. The fact that they, the Leafs, the, the Canadians literally just stomped, literally stomped on the, the Finns in their court, the preliminary round. Their one main competition in that division yeah. was not competition. Not at all. They beat them 5 nothing. Like, it wasn't even a competitive game. It was just Canada's better than you at all, at all aspects of the game. And, of course, when you have to deal with that and then you're going into the medal round, you're not really dealing with any any real kind of pushback. Yeah. It's hard to keep a competitive mindset when you're rolling over every team. And then the first competitive game you play is the gold medal game. That's a tough spot because the States were battle hardened. Like they, they had some close games on their way to the 
Well, they also like had dealt with their loss. Like they had already lost to the Russians the first game on Christmas Day. We watched that game. They did not play well. Like their goalie was brutal. They let in some awful goals. They got outplayed thoroughly by the Russians in that that Christmas Day game. And you could see that they took that to heart, and that really kind of kicked them into high gear. Where the 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 Canadians never really had that. I guess that mindset because they just kind of rolled through everyone. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting to see how. You know, being it just shows how difficult it is to repeat in this tournament. Like, it, it it almost goes to show how much more impressive it was that the Canadians won five times in a row, twice in our lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Right, considering the it's last decade, considering the last decade, only one other team has even medaled after winning. That was the Russians in twenty eighteen, I believe. They got a bronze. So we're the first team to at least get to the finals, and then obviously losing is it's heartbreaking, but. You know, big ups to them for at least battling through all the different things they did have to go through and and making it to the point where they got the silver. Yeah, you know, it was all in all a really entertaining tournament. There was really good hockey. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm sure we all we're all just happy to have some type of hockey back. But now we're going to be looking forward to the NHL season that has now been confirmed. The divisions are set. It's a go. Like we're starting next week for sure, and you know. Just to start things off, we'll look at the entire NHL, and we're going to do a bit of an over-under here. Uh, just as far as games being canceled or postponed, just because of, obviously, the ongoing pandemic. And we're going to set the over-under at 20.5 games for the entire league. So, Kian, are you the over or are you the under? I got to lean towards the over. I got to lean towards the over just... Just because the Americans are allowing people in the stands. Yeah. I think that X factor, that unpredictability, just adds a whole other layer that just showcases why there were so many problems in baseball and football this last past season. Yeah. So I, I can't see that not being an issue. And I feel like as soon as it gets into one team, it's going to spread. And so I, I, I got to go with the over. I don't think... Honestly, and this may be very Canadian bias of me, I don't think we're going to have any issues in the Canadian division because there's no fans in the stands and they got way stricter standards because the Canadian government was just not having any of it. But where the states were is a lot more lenient, especially in a time where you know they're in the transition of power, until that transition of power is actually completed, you know all those old things are still in place, and I think that's going to cause a lot of problems. So I'm going to I'm going to take the over. You know, I'm going to be taking the under on this one. Um, you know, we set the over-under pretty high here at, at 20.5, so there's got to be at least 21 postponed games for it to be the over. And I, I think that's that's a high number to hit, and I, I don't disagree that there will be games postponed. I think that's inevitable, and I'm pretty confident that it will be in the States, and, and it's less likely to be in Canada. Uh, but at the same time we are learning from the lessons of the mistakes of the other leagues. I have a curious question for you though. Okay. So if, if a game is delayed, it's technically delaying two teams. So are you in that situation delaying two games because it's a game for each team or are you delaying a single game? Well, I'd say it's a single game between those two teams. And I think a makeup game between those two teams would be done. Fair. But I mean, I would imagine that's going to happen. I'm just looking at it from the perspective, like if if you got to a point where, like, let's say they couldn't even do makeup games, say they didn't have enough time, there was too many games that needed need to be postponed, right? Like if, and especially when it comes to an over under is concerned, right? Like if you have ten different game, ten different individual games that were postponed, that's twenty teams that have been impacted by it. So that's technically twenty games. No, 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 that's twenty teams. 10 games. Yeah, but it's 20 games from those teams. Those teams is one game per team. No, no. We're talking one. It's two teams are in one game. So let's not get it twisted here. <laughs> it's one game has two teams. It affects both of them equally. They would reschedule it with both of those teams. Don't make it complicated. <laughs> it doesn't need to be. <laughs> All right, I'm, still, I'm, still, I'm still taking the over because I don't. I don't I, and I'm, I'm still taking the under. You, you know what? I think. I think there will be, I think it'll be at least, at least 10, but I don't think it will get to the point where it's over 20. 
just because I think they will learn from the other professional sports leagues and learn from their mistakes. Um, so just moving on to uh, what we saw a bit in training camp uh, from the Leafs perspective. Um, so we had some new lines released just yesterday. Um, and these are a little different because unfortunately Alex Kerfoot got injured in practice. So, uh, Pierre Engvall is actually slotting in for him. So here's what we have so far, courtesy of the Leafs PR. Um, so the first line is Joe Thornton, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner, which we already knew was going to be a thing. Um, second line is Jimmy VC, John Tavares, and William Nylander. Personally, I really like that line. Um, then we got Ilya Mikheyev alongside Engvall in Kerfoot spot um, and, and Zach Hyman. And then we got Barabanov with Spetsas and Simmons. Uh, so that's the forward group. So first, we're just going to break down those lines, see what we think of them and, and how we might see them change. Um, so we'll start with the Thornton-Matthews-Marner line. What are your th- initial thoughts on that and, and how it might be utilized and how it might be beneficial to each of those players? So like my initial thought hearing that line combination was like, you're a fucking crazy person. <laughs> And then, like, I took a second and thought about it, and it was like, okay, Joe Thornton still is an elite playmaker. You're putting him with an elite sharpshooter in Matthews, and we're ex- you're expecting Tamarner to take a step forward in his shooting game, so I guess he can complement those guys a bit. But you got to remember, Joe Thornton's 43 years old, and he's not he's, – this is not 41 years old. No, he's 43. He's not 43. Okay, he's old. He's in his 40s. He's, he's I, old. I believe he's, he's an 41. old man. All right. Man was drafted in the 90s. He's an old man. And the simple fact is he is not fast enough to keep. This is not 10 years ago where he's fast enough to keep up with first line uh, speed and minutes. So as much as he might stick on that line for the first little bit, I, I think it's inevitably going to change because there's no chance he's keeping up with that for a whole season. There's no way you're getting to the playoffs with Joe Thornton still in that first line. And as much as I, I would love for him to prove me wrong, I think it'd be great if he could do that. But history tells me that a 40-year-old player cannot play on a first line in the NHL. So I think that is inevitably going to change. I can see why they did it. I can see the appeal and the benefit it might have on Matthews and Martin in the short term. But I think if you're looking long-term to try and find a line that's going to stick together for a whole season, that's definitely not the one. You know... Uh, I was listening to Overdrive uh, on TSN 1050, and Sheldon Keefe actually shed a bit of insight into this whole line combination, which I found very interesting. So his reasoning for it was, first of all, to get the lineup of Mikheyev, Kerfoot, and Hyman together, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, now that Kerfoot's injured, that's changed a little bit. Although Engel looked really good in that, that game tonight, though. He did, he did, and, and we will get into that. Um but he also touched on you know, Thornton obviously being a 41-year-old player with two very young players in Matthews and Marner. And yes, he does look out of place there just because of the age. He's not going to be able to keep up with those guys as far as minutes go. And that's one thing Sheldon Keefe did shed some light on. His minutes will be managed. He will not be playing the same minutes as Matthews and Marner, which is fantastic to hear because that would just be crazy yeah like that would just be a bad idea so his minutes will be managed and he will likely be subbed in uh for zach hyman or subbed out for zach hyman rather and uh i I like that so maybe it's just to build some chemistry and i think thornton will help matthews and marner learn to become real really good pros i think he's a great role model he's a great locker room dude and building that, if you can build chemistry with Jumbo Joe, it'll help you build chemistry with anybody else in the league. Yeah, but like, wouldn't you still get that benefit of having of the interaction with Jumbo Joe just in the dressing room or in practice? I think it seems impractical to just throw him onto a line with them just to try and build chemistry when like you're still going to rotate him out. As I think, if you're going to rotate him out, you might as well not have him there in the first place because now not not only are you disrupting one line. You're disrupting two lines in order to create that chemistry. You're disrupting not only the Matthews Martin Thornton line, but as soon as you decide to rest Thornton for that one game, now you're disrupting the McKay of uh, Kerfoot and Hyman line by moving Hyman back up and having to slot someone else into that line. So you're now disrupting two different chemistries to try and build some 
wishy-washy chemistry between those top three players. So I, I just don't think it works. I think it, it's crazy that you're just going to try and build a, a, a line like that just based off of experience without thinking about the longevity of it and trying to build something that's going to have some structure and some continuity to it as is when we get to the playoffs. Well, that's a fair point. But the other thing, especially with Sheldon Keefe's coaching style, has there ever really been like set lines with him? I mean, kind of, but he's shuffled it around so much. Yeah, fair, but like you can, only, you're basing that off of a half season where he didn't even get a training camp. Yes, but I'm not done my point. Sorry. The other side of it is we've been hearing all all summer, uh, all, I guess all off season. It's not really been the summer for very long. Um, that Matt, uh, that Marner is trying to work on his scoring touch and, and wants to make that a bigger part of his game. And I think that this is his coach giving him an opportunity to work on that because typically Marner's the playmaker on that line. And if he wants to work on his scoring touch, then there needs to be another playmaker and who better to put there than one of the best playmakers of all time in Joe Thornton. So I think that might be Sheldon Keefe's thoughts on putting him there because who better to help Marner work on his scoring touch than Joe Thornton? Yeah, I guess I just have a differentiating opinion on on how I would go about that as a coach. And obviously who the fuck am I to, to like, <laughs> but, but like I, I, I personally, I know that if I was setting this up, I would want to try and do exactly what you're saying, but I would do that on the penalty on the power play, then do it on the, on your five on five line. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I, I'm not convinced that this lasts. Not like, at all. I like, I'm not even convinced that Joe Thornton plays every game. I'm not even convinced that this line lasts until the first game of the season. It might not even last a period. (laughs) If we're being realistic here, if they go out and they lay an egg, he will change it for sure. But that's what I love about Keefe is that he is willing to mix things up. Okay, but now we're going to be moving on to the second line of VC, Tavares, and Nylander. I low-key love this line. I love it too. It's really good. And like, I and I think if if you were to ask me of these four lines that we that we have in front of us, which of them is the highest probability of staying together for the whole season, this would be it. This would be it. I don't think there's a single chance that Thornton's staying up there. If I'm if Hyman's moving up to the first line once in a while, then that line, third line's not sticking together. And the fourth line, you know you have a bunch of people that are knocking on the door trying to take those spots. So that's going to be a yeah. rotate carousel all season. So for me, I think the second line of, of EC Tavares and Nylander is likely the line that's it has the best chance to stay together for the longest period of time. You know, it's I guess the real wild card on that line would be Jimmy VC. Of course. And that spot for Jimmy VC is up for grabs for a bunch of different players because previously Ilya Mikheyev had that spot. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I said in our, our episodes a few weeks ago. It was, or it was just like I, I even said it's like McKayev doesn't have as as solidified a spot on this team as people like to think. Like he made the team under Babcock and then was injured for most of the time under Keefe. So like he really didn't get a chance to establish himself or showcase himself to Shelton Keefe. So he's coming into this season basically with a fresh slate with not with having to reprove himself to in the NHL. So he's competing with the likes of Jimmy VC and everyone else there in order yeah. to find ice time and a spot on this and, team. And Jimmy VC, I would say has already proved himself more than Ilya McKay. Yeah, has absolutely. In the NHL, uh, just with this season in, in, in New York and Buffalo His four seasons in, in New York and scoring 15 goals yeah. plus in three of those. Yeah. So he, like he played well and, and he's, he's a top six style guy he has the he has the talent to play in that top six yeah, for sure exactly so if he can really keep it together i i think that spot's his to lose like because i think mccabe is actually better slotted in a bottom six role so because especially because he plays so much on the penalty kill like give yeah. him some rest time during five on five and let him just really kind of kick ass and then the pk yeah i i mean i'm excited for them to start building some chemistry um especially because Tavares is not has never really been a fast player. He's always been a really skilled player and a really smart player. Um, but having two speedsters on either wing is excellent. It, that's what you want out of a star center because he's going to make them look good and vice versa. You know what's weird is I, you might think I'm crazy for this, but I like I see a lot of similarities between Joe Thornton and John Tavares. And the major difference is that where Joe Thornton is a playmaker, Tavares is a shooter. But like if you think think of everything else about their game and like how they play, they're never neither of them consider super fast. They're both considered really very cerebral players, thinking about their game really well and making really smart decisions with their on around the ice. They they play a pretty similar style of the game. It just one shoot first, one pass first. 
I think one of the big differences, especially with Tavares' game, and this is one thing I noticed with Tavares when he first came over, and just in, in all of his highlights, is that he has elite puck protection ability. Mm, which and is what we see about Joe Thornton as well. Yeah, but at the same time, Joe Thornton is more so, he has the big body that John Tavares, he, I mean, he's a, a pretty big guy, but he's not jumbo. <laughs> so he doesn't have that same ability. So his is more of a skill set where if you look at guys like Sidney Crosby, his puck protection ability it's the ability to use the strength on his skates. Mm. That's bigger than anything where the size doesn't matter as much, but he's so strong on his skates that he protects the puck so well. And that's where John Tavares's puck protection ability is very Crosby-esque. Yep, I can of see course, that. it's not the same skill set, so I'm not trying to say he's Sidney Crosby here. I'm just saying that's one aspect of Crosby's game that John Tavares does extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's uh, that. I'd relate him more to that as far as puck protection goes to Crosby than I would to Thornton just because Thornton has the size on his hand, on his side whereas at size wise Crosby's very similar to Tavares no you're you're I wouldn't disagree with that I I'm really talking about like the more their decision making than anything else not even the puck protection well that's hockey IQ yeah they it's both it's, do it's, have... it's the hockey IQ of it for sure yeah it's just, it's just the fact that they I I like to like when I I know when, I remember when people would ask me about like what do I think about John Tavares as a hockey player like he's not gonna blow you out of this out of the world with his skill. He's not gonna blow out of the way with his speed or his shot. He's gonna blow you out of the way with how he thinks the game. I look at John Tavares as a cerebral player, someone who like plays the entire game in his head, and then all the things that happens around him is all decision making. He's just outthinking the person in front of him. Doesn't even need to outskill or outtalent them. He just I'm three steps ahead of you, so you can't touch me. Yeah. And so that is how I see Joe Thornton is doing the same way. There's a re- that's the reason why he's such a phenomenal playmaker is that he's thinking where this guy's going to be before he even thinks he wants to be there and puts the puck there on a stick and so it's just really interesting that those guys i think can complement each other because they they kind of both they have their strengths complement the the weaknesses of the other yeah and i'm excited that now john tavares is on a team with joe thornton and can learn from uh, from joe thornton so any gaps potential gaps in john tavares's game he can fill with the advice of Joe, of Joe Thornton. Okay, moving on to the third line, Ilya Mikheyev, Pierre Engvall, of course, in place for Alex Kerfoot, um, and Zach Hyman. Um, so I guess we'll analyze both with Kerfoot and without Kerfoot. Um, I'll start this one off. Uh, I love the speed of this line. Well, first we'll do with Kerfoot. But I, I mean, even Engvall is pretty quick as well. He's got those long He's the ass legs. <laughs> He's a big body. He's the gazelle. He's a big dude at six five. So he brings a, a size element that Kerfoot definitely can't. Uh, but the speed, I would say, is comparable. Uh, so the speed of that line is great, and Hyman's gritty. Uh, Engvall not so much. I actually think Kerfoot is grittier than Engvall, which is sad because Engvall is 6'5", and Kerfoot's like 5'11". But McKayev is gritty as hell. Yeah, McKayev is also gritty. And we don't have a big enough body of work to determine what McKayev is or could be. I I think we've seen little little bits where there's a lot of potential, and I've loved what I've seen so far. But the question is... Can he bring that to the table on a consistent basis and be a full-time NHL player? Um, so I like him slotted a third-line role, especially with a guy like Hyman, who's a complete workhorse and brings it every single night. And I think that might rub off on him, and that might be even better for him. I mean, on, honestly, like when I look at that line, I just think that, like, I, I think of it from a, a player's perspective of having to play against that line. It would suck. It would suck so much. Like even even yeah, like like, like even if you're the most talented player in the league, if you're going up against that line, you know you're gonna have no space to do anything because Zach Hyman's gonna be right on your ass. You're gonna have McKay right behind you, and Kerfoot or Engvall both have the speed to keep up with you wherever you are on the ice. So they're just gonna be hounding you and slashing and hooking and and just getting up in your grill on a consistent basis. And I love it. I love it because if we can. I think that was part of the problem with the Leafs in the last few years is that we we had to put one of our top lines out against their top line. And so, therefore, you couldn't free up our top guys to go out and show their top guys. So, if we have a third line that we could throw out against anybody because they're just a nuisance to play against, 
that's amazing because then we free up our top guys to play against better guys and i can see this line doing that because of their speed and defensive prowess and even if let's say mikhaev takes vc's spot then vc slots into that line who can do the same thing yeah exactly and i think though they are interchangeable they they play a very similar style but i would say vc has a bit of an edge until mikhaev proves us wrong i would say i would say mikhaev has a more defensive edge I think he is a little bit more defensively responsible than VC. Okay, yeah, that's fair. So you're like trading off a little bit there. There's a lot of defensive responsibility on that third line anyway. And even on the second line, Tavares is an extremely defensively responsible player, which is what you want out of your centerman, right? Okay, moving on to the fourth line. We got Barabanov with Spezza and Simmons. And I think this might be the most interesting line of the bunch mainly because there's so many potential players that could be in this spot instead of Barabanov. I think Spezza and Simmons are going to be there. Spezza might get a rest because of his age. Um, We'll see how he does, but it's a shortened season, right? So maybe not. Uh, But Barabanov, I think, will definitely be in and out of the lineup, and I think the likes of Nick Robertson might be slotted into the lineup. Maybe somebody else gets pushed down. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see, but there's a lot of guys who can take that spot. So... I'm just curious to see what happens, but uh, you know, at first glance, looking at it with the Barabanov, Spets, and Simmons, I love the veteran leadership on that line. I think Simmons brings a grit that we want. Um, Spets has shown that he can bring a bit of grit, even though that's something he's never been known for at all in his entire career. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we should expect that from Simmons. No, you should, but that's why Simmons is there, right? So, <laughs> but Spets has shown that he can. Barabanov, we just got to watch him for the first time today. I liked what I saw out of him. Um, but you know, he didn't strike me as the grittiest of all players. He didn't blow me away, but yeah, I could see him making the lineup. And I think, uh, if, if history serves us as anything to look at, look at like any KHL guys we brought over, you know, they're going to get an opportunity. So I think it will be thoroughly shocking if the likes of a bear Benov and Lettinen are not in the lineup on starting night. That's not to say they'll be there every night or even every night for the season, but I think it is inevitable those two will probably be in the lineup for game one, just so they so they have the opportunity to show what they can do on the north on the North American ice against the North American against NHL players, which they have never had that opportunity before. Where the likes of Nick Robertson has, or everyone else who is in that potential taxi squad has had that opportunity in the NHL. So I think just based off of historical reference, that regardless of how the rest of this training camp goes, that Bear Benov is going to be in the lineup for that first first game at least but i do agree that he's probably going to be the that rotating player that i'll probably won't play every game depending on how well he does because yeah exactly if he crushes it he's not coming out like it's all going to be performance based right like if if he absolutely sucks (laughs) then sorry he's not going to last very long uh but at the same time you, you have like Adam Brooks actually was very impressive in the blue and white game today. I, I thought he played a solid game and there's also guys like Joey Anderson just hanging around. He could potentially take that spot. Play against the devils last year. Yeah. Like, like he he's played some games, so he, he has potential to take that, that spot as well. So there's a lot of internal competition, but that's what you want. Like that's what you want in a training camp. Um, so so I, like we have arguably six to seven players who could fit into that, that, oh, yeah. that fourth line role. Oh yeah, there's a, a and and plus, even further up in the lineup, those guys can be mixed around, moved up or down. So it, it's going to change a lot, I feel. Uh, but it's all going to be performance based. Like we'll we'll see how they do, how they gel, how the chemistry is. On paper, it looks pretty good. Um, but but we'll see how they do. So we're going to be moving on to the defense. Um, so. Uh, for training camp, they had the top pairing of Riley and Brody. No surprise there. Then we had Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall. Then Miko Lettinen and Zach Bogosian. And a 7-8 pair of Sandine and Dermot. So, um, I mean, we'll start with the Riley-Brody pairing. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> oh, man. I can't tell you how happy I was to just, like, watch that game tonight. And just see, like, Riley be able to, you know, make a play. And, and really do whatever the fuck he wants on the ice without worrying that he has to get back. Get back first and make a play. Yeah, I mean, Riley's been itching for that, you know, that pairing defenseman that he hasn't really had. I mean, the best defenseman he's had to play with was, who who was it? Like, fucking Ron Hainsey. Ron Hainsey. <laughs> like, I mean, you could say Tyson Berry, but. 
But he, he played Tyson he, Berry like sparingly, and yeah. even then, it, this was like Tyson Berry in his worst season of his career. But I think this is like the ideal defense partner for Riley for a few reasons. One, he's very responsible defensively. Uh, that's huge. And you need that for uh, an offensive defenseman like Riley because it gives him the freedom to free wheel without having to worry about whether or not his D partner is going to have his back because he knows in Brody he will have his back. He also makes a great first pass. Yeah. Which I think was just like such a missing part of the game because I think like if you thought about last year or even the last five years, teams would come in just like just dump the puck in the right corner and get after it because there's nothing happening there. So now they're going to dump that puck in the right port corner and TJ Brody's going to be able to make a play, get it to Riley, or make a, an effective first pass and get out of the zone quickly. And that difference alone will make all the difference in the likes of a playoff series where one decision can change everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see what they can do um, just in a five-on-five five scenario. And it's and that's the thing I've said in previous episodes. As a defenseman, you're only as good as your D partner. And finally, Riley has a D partner that can keep up with him. That's a bona fide, like top defenseman. Like you need that. You need to have faith in your D partner. And Riley finally has that. And I think Riley will benefit greatly from it. So moving on to Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall, we saw this last year and it worked. So I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I mean, like I, I said this to you in the in our episode a few weeks ago, is like it doesn't make sense to break that lineup because it those those two guys played phenomenal together until Muzzin got injured. Like it was it was only at, at the point where Muzzin got injured and you had to start mixing Martin Marin shit into the lineup that start things started going poorly. So I think. If you can just get that, get those two guys together, have them be your shutdown pair, and let it just build around them, it makes the most sense to me. So, uh, yeah, like you said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I mean they're they're a defensive shutdown pair, which is what you want. Yeah, you need you need need it because you have the high octane on the top pair in Riley and Brody because they can both score goals, and then Muzzin and Hall can both be shutdown defensemen, and that's what you want. And then this third pairing is a, I I love it. Miko Lettinen, we just got to see the you know the the first bit of play for him today in the blue and white game. The kid's and good. He was impressive. Kid's Man, good. Man, he's good. Kid's good. He can shoot the puck. He can skate. He's got. He seems to know where to be as the defenseman, which is huge. And he seems to be very good at getting the puck through to the net, which is huge. Is this is for me? What struck struck me the most about him was decision making. And I think that was one of the biggest problems that we had on defense last year was that we had a bunch of people who would make very poor decisions, whether that be on the offensive blue line or trying to get the puck out and just like where you choose to put the puck. And just I, obviously I'm basing this off of one game, one not even not even a real game, one inner inner intramural game basically. But the decisions that he made were were very top notch, and I can see the the skill level there and the decision making process and. Uh, I'm a big fan of of what we saw so far. You know, I I actually like having Bogo on the bottom pair there. Um, I I like the size and the grit that he brings. He's a defense-first kind of guy. He's going to be the guy who's clearing out the front of the net. He's not going to let anybody fuck with Anderson. He's going to be protecting Anderson, and uh, although I I do see him being in and out of the lineup. Honestly, I, I, I wasn't that impressed by Zach Bogosian tonight. No, but he is more so the gritty side of the game, and you're not going to see that in an intra-squad game. I guess, but, like, he just seems slow. Of course he's slow. That's why he's on the bottom pairing. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. I watched that game, and I saw I, I enjoyed Sandine and Dermot's game more than I enjoyed Bert. Well, that, that's the why Boston's I think game. that Sandine, both Sandine and Dermot will yeah, take his spot. And I think, I think the only reason why Bogosian's in the lineup is because he's a right-handed player. Yeah, that's the other thing. Right? I think if you give if Z- Sandine or Dermot are both are legitimate right-handed defensemen, there's a 0% chance that Bogosian's in the lineup. Yeah, but because they're lefties, it's like, are you going to replace Riley? No. Are you going to replace Muzzin? No. Are you going to replace Lettinen? I mean, from our first impression of him, probably yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved what Sandine did tonight. Like yeah, He played he, he showed, fantastic. He, he showed a lot of poise, and I, I'd be shocked if he didn't get into the lineup for at least a few games this year. Um, but that's the benefit. Also, of the honorable mention to Aaron Dell. Sick setup. 
Gillix Potvin asks, love it. Thanks. Rocking number 29 as well. Right? Like, You're bringing me back to my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was 1999 and we we're getting ready for the conference finals. Like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> it's nostalgic and I love it. <laughs> uh, so keep it up. I love it. You get the style points, even though, you know, on here it's Anderson Campbell. And you're going to be the third stringer, but fuck, if you're going to be on the bench, you may as well look good. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so kudos to you. I appreciate the, the setup. Looking good. Um, and, and I'm I'm just impressed with how he played as well. He, he didn't play ba- that bad. He, he let in a few goals, but, I mean, we got some really skilled players. They weren't necessarily his fault. He had, I think, one of the goals he probably should have had, but the rest you can't really blame on him. Um, it was it was really nice to see Leafs hockey again. Oh my god, I was so giddy. I've never been so giddy to watch a fucking fake game. Not to mention Joe Bowen was on the call, oh. which was just oh. a privilege. The best, a privilege, a fucking privilege. You're absolutely right. Like we never get to see him on TV anymore, and it sucks. It sucks not having Joe Bowen because he's such a homer. He's arguably one of the best play by play guys of all time, and. Fucking love that guy, <laughs> and I'm just, honestly like if 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 there's a guest I wish we could have on the show, it's Joe Bowen. Bonesy, I would fucking kill to have Joe Bowen on the show, be able to just pick his brain and talk about his experiences and the amount of things that that man has lived through in Leaf Nation. He's seen Stanley Cups, he's seen the Ballard years, he's seen the ups and downs of the '90s and the craziness of the last two decades. Like, I would just I would love to be able to talk to that man. You know what? You know, maybe we can uh, pull some strings here and put in some work, and and hopefully get him on the show one day. One, one day, day. That's, we'll, that's, we'll have to put. It, that's how we know we made it. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. You know, but, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, so uh, you know, it was really entertaining game, and we're just going to be moving into breaking down this this game that we just watched, and it wasn't the outcome that I thought it would be, mainly because. The team with Matthews and Marner lost. And, like, handily. Yeah. Who saw that coming? The team with Marinson won. Yeah, that's <clears throat> it's tough. Not that he had anything to do with it. No, he literally did nothing. He had a turnover, of course, in, in classic Marinson style. But, no, I, I, I'm with you on that. I was, uh, I was definitely going into that game thinking that the, the blue team was going to pull that, that dub out easily. I thought it was going to be a, a trouncing. And um, got to give it to Tavares and Nylander, who Speaking were having of, none of it. How about that bomb from Nick Robertson? <sighs> that, was, that was a bomb. Ooh. But how about that bomb from Willie Nylander from Miko Lettinen? Yeah. Yeah, that that was a nice one. As well. <laughs> like, like they like you could see going into that game that Tavares and Nylander were like, no, 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 I get you guys are the the big boys with your big contracts, but uh, let me just show you how good we are. And they they did. Tavares scored. Nylander had two, and they showed the big boys that they ain't nothing to fuck with, and just showcases that the Leafs really have two first lines instead of one, which is kind of great, and I love it. So. If we're proved wrong and we think that our the team that should be better is worse, that's a good thing because these are all Leaf guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, you got to be uh, a little impressed and a little embarrassed at the same time, <laughs> just because uh, that there were some errors in this in this game that you know that were pretty glaring. Um, but it's just things about timing and chemistry things that you can work on that that there's the whole reason why this game happened yeah exactly and that's the whole point of this game is to work through these kinks um so obviously you were going to see some of that but i saw more good than bad oh yeah it was it was really it was a really interesting game to watch because it wasn't quite what like a, a preseason game is because i i don't know it seemed like they cared more because they were competing against their own team. Um, uh, <laughs> they're competing against their own team for spots, yeah. right? Which which is not quite the same when you're in a in a in a pre preseason game where you're facing another team for your spot, right? So it, you can see that guys on either team were like, "I need to go out here and showcase my talent because this might be the only chance I get." Yeah. And that's where you want that internal uh, competition. 
and you you want guys battling for spots on this. absolutely that's why i love it it's great yeah so so it was great to see the leafs back in action and it was super exciting uh but we're going to be moving on to our buds or duds the buds or duds the buds or duds and man. we're going to be doing buds or duds of the blue and white game so we'll start with our buds Ian, who was the most impressive and who is your certified bud? The certified bud for the first official Leaf game that's not official for the Buds podcast is William Nylander. Okay, okay, all right. This kid went out there and showed that he's just picking up right where he left off last year. Bill Nye the Slapshot Bill Nye the Slapshot guy, apparently, with his one tee off of the Miko Lennon pass, like... He had a tenacity to his game. He was going to the net and picking up, right, like I said, picking up right where he left off last year, not being afraid to go to the dirty areas and still showing off that incredible talent that he has. I still think he's such an underrated player on this team, and I'm so excited to see what he does this season. So William Nylander's got to be my bud. I think he had a phenomenal game today. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. He looked sharp, uh, although I think he should shave the stash. It's not a good look. Oh, it's not a good look, no. No, it's rough, but he's got Real some bad. sick flow. <laughs> um, my bud has got to be Miko Lettinen. I'm not. I like, can't be mad about he that. He was impressive. He stood out to me, and in a squad of two full teams of different Maple Leafs, it's tough to stand out. And he was one that stood out. And especially because I knew nothing about this guy going into this This is the first time we've ever seen him play. Yeah, and I I was impressed. Like, he had me going, like, wow, this this guy can play. He can play. He can can score. He can move the puck. He can skate. He's He's everything you want in a defenseman. Yeah, he's going to be good. He he seems like he has a lot of poise as well. Um, So I'm excited to see what he can do in an actual game. But for just for this blue and white game, he's my butt of the game. I thought he played an exceptionally good game. Yeah, I I, I can't dispute that at all. I I was very very impressed with uh with his game. Um, so who would be your dud? Who's gonna be my dud? Austin Matthews. Ooh. Even though he scored. Even though he scored because he did nothing to deserve that goal. That was all Mitch Marner. Yeah, that's true. Austin Matthews did nothing. Wow. And you're not wrong. He did nothing. He was not impressive. He literally, like, he didn't have any major carries, any big plays. Like, sure, he scored a goal. You didn't see the signature, like, like, release. It wasn't even the signature release. It was the, like, where you see him pick up the puck with with pace during the middle, in through the middle of the ice. You just, like, think he's going to go in and score. You never have one of those moments where you think he's about to try and take over the game. I saw one moment of like that where he, he was storming through the neutral zone in that typical Austin Matthews fashion, but it ultimately didn't lead. Yeah, to it just, there just wasn't enough of what we've come to expect from Austin Matthews. And I think, and people might think I'm crazy for this, but I hold him to a higher standard. Yeah, well, so, as you should. And right? so my dud for him. Why not be a dud for someone else? Like where where I label him as a dud, I wouldn't label Zach Hyman a dud for doing the yeah. same thing. But where he was at today, the what we show what we were shown on the game today, Austin Matthews is my dud. And just to make things perfectly clear, I fucking love Austin Matthews. <laughs> just, because, just because you are a dud on the show doesn't mean you can't be a bud at a later date. Yeah, it changes frequently. Yes, <laughs> and it's all done on specific scenarios, right? So of course. So just because you're a bud now doesn't mean you'll be or a dud now doesn't mean you'll be you won't be a bud later or vice versa. Yeah, exactly. So my dud of the game has to be Jason Spezza. Really? Just for the shootout attempt <laughs> where he loses the puck and then ends up kind of going over Jack Campbell. Oh, yeah, that was like, a pretty bad play. Oh man, that was just embarrassing. Just from an embarrassment standpoint, like okay, that's well, a what dud about move. A, okay, but like that's definitely a dud move. What about a dud for the actual game though? <laughs> oh man, the, the fake shootouts in between periods. <laughs> But that was like the biggest dud moment. Oh, absolutely, in the game. absolutely. That might be dud of twenty twenty one. But like, let's let's go with dud for the game. <laughs> Ooh, dud for the game. Mm. You know that's a tough one because honestly, I thought a lot of players played really well. You know what? I, I gotta go. 
with our boy Marty Marinson. <laughs> <laughs> once again, Classic. once again, he has shown that he's just not an NHL player. And you know, he even in an intra squad game, he still looks like he doesn't know what he's doing out there. And he gave up some interceptions, made some passes to nowhere. And I think I the puck twice. Yeah, right. And I think the only reason he's even in this camp is because he's six five. I think the only reason why he's still in this camp is because he they kind of have to. They don't have anywhere to send him right now. No, yeah, there's nowhere to send him. Like, there's no AHL to send him to right now. It doesn't exist at the moment. Like the and AHL might not start till February, so he literally might be sitting on his ass for another month. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could <laughs> give a better dud than that because he's kind of always a dud <laughs> um but i i mean that that's a good thing if i can't think of that many duds in this game because Absolutely. honestly there weren't that many bad plays that stood out to me aside from that that spezza one like that spezza one is the dud of the game <laughs> uh, on the shootout like come on man you're supposed to be a shootout specialist a veteran shootout specialist well i, I mean like even even my dud on matthews is like nitpicking to no yeah. end right like but like i if we have to pick a dud i'm gonna pick a dud and we, I just yeah. expect well, better well, of him. Spezza was my dud, and you, you know, forced me to do pick another one, <laughs> off, off guard a little. So I'm going to pick the obvious ones. So, and I don't see anybody disagreeing with me on this. No, that one. was that was a that was a brutal play. That was one of the worst shootout attempts I've ever seen. <laughs> it was almost no, no, I can't say. I was I was about to say it is almost as bad as Marshawn missing the puck at the center. No, but that, no, that, no, nothing <laughs> could be worse than that. <laughs> that was the worst shootout attempt of all time. Especially I've seen house lost. I've the seen house I've seen house league kids with better shooter well, attempts than that. <laughs> is in a nothing game, so it's like okay, good. He messed up, but good thing it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, seriously. Marshawn lost his team. <laughs> he, the game. he was the, going for the winning shot and then just forgot the puck. Just forgot the puck, <laughs> but touched it. And <laughs> All right, man. Well, well, we'll see the real deal on Wednesday oh, against Montreal, and then we'll have another game on the Friday against Ottawa, and we'll be breaking them both down in next episode. And I'm so so excited for some meaningful hockey especially rivalry hockey let's four, go four days away from oh, leafs halves baby and then a couple of days later we get leafs and sends get it it's gonna be a blast i can't wait to talk to you guys about it i can't wait to just be just be, just be over the moon about that leafs hockey is back it's gonna be the best and don't ever ever forget go leafs Go!